Thank you for joining us today. This is Expository Insights with Pastor Lyle Wall. Today we come to another riveting account in John's Gospel, beginning at verse 13 in chapter 2. Jesus is talking about true faith in God that transforms people. Radical faith. We're going to explore that now. Today we are thinking about being radical. About radical Christianity. When people talk about being radical, they generally are referring to changing things, of leaving the current state in the dust behind their new, bold strokes. The word is used both positively and negatively, both of what is viewed as progress and also as extremism. As one writer puts it, sometimes radical means some things that are nice, and at other times some things that are nasty. We also know that for many people, in many ways, that this is a subjective, not objective, evaluation. For example, in politics, radical is used by both those on the right and those on the left, alternately of being the nice that they are pursuing and the nasty their opponents are pursuing. Today we are thinking about faith radical faith, as we look at the second half of chapter 2 in John's Gospel. Some people speak of radical faith as shaking up the comfortable, middle-class values of believers that they see as being more cultural than biblical. What we are looking at today is the transformation that God brings about in people when He saves them and then living based on that. Salvation brings a radical transformation of who we are. First, radically transformed from being spiritually dead to alive. Ephesians chapter 2 opens, You were dead in your offenses and sins. That is, before we were saved, we had no life with God at all. Going on, Paul wrote, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Make no mistake, salvation is not about, does not, cannot come about by cleaning ourselves up, or even being cleaned up or improved. Salvation is God's work of taking us from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive, from having no life with God to having everlasting life with God by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Then as well, believers are radically transformed as new creations. As Paul clearly, succinctly wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Again, not improved, but spiritually, radically transformed. As well, believers are radically transformed to live a godly life rather than continue to be conformed to the sinful way of the world. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. 
We have been buried with Christ through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. And on to chapter 12. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Radically transformed, to be radically different, to be, to live as people of radical faith. Where do we start in having a radical, truly life-transforming faith? We begin with true, deep faith. The situation of many people then and today is described beginning with verse 23. Now when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name as they observed his signs which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them because he knew all people, and because he did not need anyone to testify about mankind, for he himself knew what was in mankind. Jesus was at an annual Passover celebration. The event commemorated Israel's being spared from God's last plague on Egypt and God's deliverance of them from that land of slavery. At Passover, the Jewish people gathered in Jerusalem from throughout Israel and other countries. The city swelled with great numbers of people, wall to wall, spilling out beyond the city. While Jesus was there, John tells us, he was doing signs. Picture yourself there in the shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder crowds. Jesus teaches and preaches, and as part of this, he is performing signs or miracles. We are not told specifics, but picture people who had been blind, now crying tears of happiness at what they can see. People who had been lame, now jumping for joy. As a result, many believed in his name. That is, many came to think, yes, this Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah we have waited and longed for. The Messiah has come. But these verses also speak of what is in mankind. And the Gospels show how shallow and fickle the faith of many was. For some it was a decision to think and hope that Jesus the Wonder Worker was the Messiah who would do great things for them, provide things they needed, things they wanted. Others certainly had genuine faith, even if based on his miracles rather than firmly grounded on who he is and his truth. These had true but shallow faith. Let's move up to today. What is real, saving faith? First, recognize that not all decisions in response to the gospel result in salvation. Jesus told the parable of the sower 
seed, and soils recorded in the other three Gospels. The hard roadside soil, along with the rocky and thorn-infested ground, yielded no crop. The Gospel did not take root or was choked out after an initial positive response. The seed of the Gospel did not result in salvation. Saving faith means trusting and accepting Jesus for who and what He is, as well as accepting ourselves for who and what we are. Jesus is holy God the Son. We, by nature and action, are sinners. We cannot measure up to God's holiness, and our sin separates us from God, from life with Him. Jesus came into this world as one of us, as a man to pay for our sin with His death on the cross, to provide the way for us to be forgiven of our sin and have everlasting life with God as we place our faith in Him. We are saved, we are radically transformed, when we receive the gift, place our faith in Jesus as our Savior and our God. Then for those who have true faith and the peace and joy of salvation, of a relationship with God, the question is, is my faith a deep faith? Is it growing deeper? Am I learning and living more and more of God's truth? Am I today being diligent to present myself to God as a worker who does not need to be ashamed, but as one who accurately is interacting with, handling God's Word? Am I deceiving myself by being a hearer but not a doer of God's Word? Or am I actually proving myself as a doer? Then, am I living closer and closer to God? Am I following King David's example of my soul thirsting for God, yearning for Him as one in a desert where there is no water? Do I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and strength? As well, am I relying on God more and more? Am I trusting God with all my heart, or am I relying on my own understanding? Am I bringing all my needs and desires, all my requests to God in faith, or am I anxious about those things? Radical Christianity, life-transforming faith, begins with a true, deep faith. Then, radical faith includes being obedient to God's directions. Verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. How does this relate to or demonstrate obedience? God told the people of Israel, Three times in a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place which he chooses. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, Passover, was one of the three along with the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, and the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Unleavened Bread began on the evening of Passover and continued for seven days. In the midst of his time-limited ministry, we might think Jesus could excuse himself from this. After all, he is God the Son, 
the Master, the one who gave and fulfilled the law. But he was obedient. Remember the Apostle Paul's words about Jesus. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. Jesus repeatedly declared that he was obedient to God the Father while on earth, as recorded here in John's Gospel, including chapter 4, verse 34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me, God the Father, and to accomplish his work. Chapter 5, verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Chapter 6, verse 28. I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Chapter 8, verse 29. He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And chapter 14, verse 31. So that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Compromise and disobedience to God snuff out the fire of radical Christian faith every time. Each compromise of God's truth, every act of disobedience. It is no wonder, then, that God gives us so many calls to so many pledges and records of total obedience in the Bible. As the people of Israel ratified the covenant with God under Moses' leadership, they responded, All that the Lord has spoken to us we will do, and we will be obedient. Paul gave thanks to God that the believers in Rome became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which they were entrusted. Paul told the church at Corinth, For to this end I also wrote, so that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. Then, later in that same letter, we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We are ready to punish all disobedience. Radical Christianity. Radical faith includes being obedient to God's directions. Why is obedience to God important? Among other reasons given in the Bible, remember two today. God is God. He is the Creator, the Sovereign Ruler. When He speaks, directs, we who are His creations, His subjects, are to obey. Then, too, obedience to God is a key test and demonstration of our love for God and our fellow believers. Jesus said, recorded in chapter 14, verse 15 in this gospel, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John wrote in chapter 5 of his first letter, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. How are you doing? How radical are we 
are you? Do we obey God when it seems not to make sense, as Abraham obeyed God when he told him to sacrifice his son Isaac? Do we obey God when it seems to be impossible? Would you and I have obeyed God as Noah did by undertaking and completing building the ark? Do we really obey God when he tells us that in every temptation, even the greatest temptation we face, he will take us through it without sin, and so trust him? Do we obey God in running away from sin and rushing after holiness? How are we doing in being radical in obeying God? A third part of radical Christianity is living out your faith with devotion and action. When Jesus went to the temple, there was a problem. The outer courts of the temple had been turned into a place of business, full of sheep, oxen, and doves, instead of being a place of prayer, teaching, and worship. Picture the noise, the smell, and the mess. People were buying and selling animals for sacrifice, and the money changers also ran a brisk business. Why? In part, people coming from a distance could not bring animals with them, and their foreign currencies needed to be exchanged. These were legitimate activities, but not in the temple, and certainly not at the rip-off rates history records. Why was Jesus so upset? We start back in the Old Testament with Psalm 69, which is a messianic psalm. That is, while it speaks of King David in the first instance, it speaks of Jesus the Messiah in the full and final instance. There, verse 9 reads, Zeal for your house has consumed me. Jesus, the ultimate fulfillment of that statement, had a deep devotion to, a passion for the house of God, to the temple where people came to pray, where God's truth was taught and sacrifices were offered. The events here in John chapter 2 demonstrate Jesus' devotion and passion as he acted. He made a whip of cords. While we are not told, I picture Jesus doing this quietly while the watching people wondered, and some even worried, about what he was up to. Then he drove the animal sellers and their livestock out of the temple courts. He threw over the money changers' tables, scattering their coins. He ordered the doves removed. Here is zeal, passion under control and in action. Sadly, the people did not learn from this. We find Jesus doing it again at the end of his ministry. As we apply this, first, some side comments on the temple and other special places, and then church buildings today. The Old Testament record records holy places, buildings, objects. The temple in particular was special. God commanded Israel to be different from the nations and to seek the Lord at the place which the Lord, your God, will choose. While people prayed, were taught, and worshipped in their hometowns, 
the temple was the center where God's special presence was found. With Jesus and then the church age, there was a change. Remember his words to the Samaritan woman at the well, recorded here in chapter 4. Believe me, woman, that a time is coming when you will worship neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. A time is coming, and even now has arrived, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Then the Apostle Paul declares in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that believers are a temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in them. Yes, we treat this facility with respect because it is set apart for worship and serving God, but it is not the temple. Now, applying this truth of devotion to ourselves, how much devotion and passion do we have for God, for His truth, for His work? Passion must be under control in order to accomplish anything that honors God. To achieve this, we must remain connected to God in prayer, in reading and thinking through the Bible. The story is told of Thomas Edward Lawrence, or Lawrence of Arabia, taking a number of Arab leaders with him to the peace conference in Paris at the close of World War I. These leaders were astonished at the sights, especially at the luxury of water available freely and without end by simply turning a faucet. It was unbelievably different from the scarcity of water they faced in the deserts. When it was time to leave, Lawrence found the leaders trying to remove the faucets from their hotel rooms, saying that they needed these magical instruments back home. Lawrence had great difficulty in convincing them the faucets were no good if detached from the water supply. Our passion, energy, and hard work is no good as a channel of God's power unless we stay connected to God in fellowship and obedience. How are we doing? Are we passionate about God, His truth, and work? Or are we just lukewarm? We are told in Titus chapter 2 that Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, eager for good deeds. This word eager means to positively and intently be active, committed. Our word zealous comes from the word used here. Is our passion under control? That is, is it moved and shaped by the Holy Spirit in light of God's Word? Passion or zeal can be intense, but, as God reminds us through Paul, not be in accordance with knowledge, not line up with God's truth. The final mark of radical Christianity we see here is not one we might expect. It is balancing your view with insight from beyond yourself. Let's look at Jesus. Drop down to verse 24. But Jesus, on his part, 
was not entrusting himself to them because he knew all people, and because he did not need anyone to testify about mankind, for he himself knew what was in mankind. The people believed in him, but he did not entrust himself to them. Jesus knew what was in mankind. He knew in their superficial, shallow, and impulsive excitement they would follow him around, shouting his praises, and even try to crown him Messiah for this brief moment. Jesus has perfect insight into what is in all of us. The self-sacrifice, as well as the self-centeredness. The true deep faith, as well as the shallow and inadequate faith. The strengths, as well as the weaknesses. No one else on earth ever has had or will have the perfect insight of Jesus. But all of us need to balance our view of all things and other people with good, accurate insight from beyond ourselves. Those who rush to believe, to follow without seeing the weaknesses and limitations of ideas and people, and so then are disappointed time after time, need this insight. Those who tend to see the glass half-empty, who do not see beyond the weaknesses and limitations of ideas and people, and so are not excited with and for them, need this insight. Those who listen to emotional appeals without screening them adequately for God's truth, and so then end up being manipulated and used, need this insight. And those who must have all the I's dotted and all the T's crossed before ever taking a risk, and so are obstacles rather than encouragers and builders, need this insight. All of us will be disappointed and hurt to some extent if we engage others and risk. There are no exceptions. Each, every one of us, is imperfect, but none of us should be either gullible or isolated. So what do we do? God tells us through James, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. We have heard and read this so many times, we may not stop and let it soak in. We may sometimes tack it on to our prayers without thinking about what it means and implies. God's promise is to give us the ability to see things as they really are, as he knows them to be, and so make good decisions which honor him. Later in John's Gospel, Jesus tells us, If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is another familiar promise that we should camp on to understand. The truth and promise is that as we stay in loving, trusting, obedient fellowship with God, he will align our will and desires to his, and so he will perform them. This is the working out of the prayer to the Father Jesus taught us. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then again, the Apostle Paul wrote, 
In this I pray, that your love may overflow still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. We need insight from beyond ourselves. How are we doing? God gives us insight through others. Yes, as Proverbs chapter 2 tells us, the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up wisdom for the upright. And yes, God reveals his wisdom through other believers around us. True wisdom that is tested by and lines up with his word. We need each other. Two weeks ago, I reminded us of the each other and one another statements of the New Testament as we talked about relationships. Those statements include building up, encouraging, and admonishing each other. The New Testament tells us God gifts, enables some believers to preach, teach, exhort, and encourage so we all can grow and mature. How are we doing in giving and receiving insight? We need insight from beyond ourselves. This is radical Christianity. When you boil it all down, authentic, radical Christian faith, in a word, is radical. By nature, we are self-focused. Radical faith is God-focused. By nature, we are suspicious. Radical faith is trusting. By nature, we are greedy. Radical faith is generous. By nature, we are focused on the earth, the here and now. Radical faith is focused on heaven and eternity. The difference between being lukewarm, as Jesus described the church of Laodicea in the book of the Revelation, and being radical is dedicating all that we are and have to God and then actually living with all that we are and have for Him. Can you truly say to God today, in the words of the old hymn, Take myself, and I will be ever, only, all for Thee. Thank God that in His grace He radically transformed you. Take a look at the state of your faith, where the rubber meets the road in the daily routines and extremes of life. Thoughtfully and carefully renew your dedication to live radically, to live ever, only, all for Him. Let's bow in prayer. God, our great, redeeming, transforming Father, thank you for sending Jesus for Jesus taking the punishment of our sin and redeeming us, making us new creations when we accepted him as our Savior. Father, you know our strengths and victories as well as our weaknesses and failures. May we never take credit for our victories and never excuse our failures. Keep us, Father, from being complacent, from being lukewarm, Keep us as your radical people, servants for you, each other, and our world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.